0: Welcome to Startupville, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wolfsfeld. Our host is Dan Gold, and joining him today is Kevin Pierce of Picatic, recently acquired by Eventbrite. Picatic provides an event registration
1: platform and provides deep integration with with other companies who wish to keep their ticket sales on brand on their websites.
2: And Christian Olzanski from Viamo. Viamo is a social enterprise that uh, improves lives by uh, helping organizations in developing countries to reach out to populations who is normally really hard to reach.
0: In this episode, we discuss how tech can be a force for good and how if you can figure out how to make a real impact on people's lives, that might make the difference for your company. Welcome to Startupville. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications.
3: Firstly, thank you both for joining us here on Startupville. It's always a pleasure to meet new people and to have people um, who are in slightly different areas, but have worked together. That's always an interesting dynamic. Oh. Christian, if I could start with you, tell us, uh, tell us a bit more about how you're using uh, tech to help other people. Uh,
2: sure. So our, I guess, the whole VMware infrastructure application is quite complex, but we're basically, um, we're basically working with cell phone network providers in developing countries. So pretty much like most of Africa, a lot of Asia and a lot of India. And uh, through our infrastructure and application, a lot of the organizations such as UNICEF and Oxfam can basically either broadcast messages to population who, who is uh, illiterate or it only has access to dump phones uh and it also works in the other direction we can send out surveys and different ways of collecting data from those people to uh to help um to help in situations like crisis management and stuff like that
3: on that how do you deal with uh limitations of language and illiteracy is it is it very is it audio based video based or or is it uh, simplified language how do you do that
2: right well we deal with a lot of not just languages, but even dialects in Africa. Like just in Ghana, there's, I think, over 24 different dialects that are official. Like it's not just some small village speaking it. It's actually an official supported dialect. Uh, so, yeah, we have, like our company is quite distributed. We have 144 employees. Uh, a lot of them actually are PDR stationed in, in Africa and are on site to help with uh, communication and different dialects. But uh, yeah, like we, we started with uh, trying to broadcast messages and collect data through text messaging. And we had little, just little engagement. We had no idea why. And pretty quickly we realized that basically a lot of the people we're trying to reach don't even, like, don't know how to read, right? So we transitioned into voice communication instead uh, using systems like IVRs, just trying to automate a lot of the, uh, the voice recordings and then just let them choose to... Uh, walk through a, a decision making tree. So yeah, that's, yeah, like that, that is a challenge. We're trying to get more into uh, uh, machine learning and using machine learning to uh, understand what people are asking or what, why are they calling in. But again, like dealing with multiple dialects is not really, a, it's not really a, an easy task to, uh, to address when it comes to uh, automation.
3: I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast this morning. um, And uh, by the time this uh, goes out, it will be, you know, a very old podcast. I'm going to tell you which episode it is. it's the um, why Alexa skills are the next. (laughs) Oh, of course, it goes dot, dot, dot. I don't want it to play. Don't play. Um, But it's it's the importance of audio. Me coming from my background, I started in uh, it and then i went into media and radio and audio has always been an important thing to me he was saying in the uh, latest edition of his podcast how um audio is becoming more and more and more significant and when you look at issues around uh, language pe- uh reaching people who were previously excluded for whatever reason whether it's neurodiversity or language it's interesting that uh, when we go back to basics, people often speak a language or speak in in uh, local communications before they before they read or if there's an opportunity to read. So I think that's a, a fascinating, fascinating idea. And we'll maybe get back onto that in a little while. I would like to uh, have a quick question with Kevin on this. Your journey, you're at Picatick now, Um Obviously, you and Christian have done multiple things before you've got where you are now. But your journey in the world of tech and problem solving, what, what appealed to you about solving problems through using technology? The thing that,
1: that really appeals to me about solving problems with technology is that it's, it's like you're always working on these puzzles, And you're getting to use tools where the rules, some of the rules are kind of continually being redefined and discovered by the community at large. And uh, so there's always so much discovery going on, discovery and making a difference in people's lives is always kind of exciting. So applying technology is fun, uh, (laughs) but when it doesn't affect anybody... Nobody ends up seeing the light of day with your project or whatever it is. That's that's kind of a, a deal breaker for me. So it doesn't really matter how interesting the technology is if if it's not actually doing anything for anybody. Then that's that's kind of uh, the end of it for me.
3: So it's the class that you have to address a need and support a, a problem or work a way around a problem because if you're not it's satisfying an idea if you're not sorting out a problem who needs it
1: that's right and it's very the age-old business case like there needs to be a reason for doing it and on the technology side we're not always really caring about that there are other people that generally are a lot more interested in in how will this make money and how will will, will those. Things happen. There is an alignment between the two, and as long as you have somebody taking care of that vision, uh, you can you can come alongside them and and bring the other part.
3: So, Christian, why why from your point of view did you go into the world of of technology and solving problems?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess I always like since childhood, or since since like the times that I could. Uh, analyze things, uh, like I just, I love things, like I love taking things apart and putting them back together and like, as you take things apart, you try to understand them and like you put them back together, you feel like you move on to the next thing and like you have a better understanding of, of how certain thing works and and over the years, like you just keep building that experience that eventually uh, when you end up in a situation where like, you have to solve a problem, you have all this knowledge from like your past experiences that you can just put to use. <laughs> Um yeah, to me it was always just like on a personal level, it's just a challenge. Like I, I feel like I need to challenge myself and learn new things. And the best way to do it is basically uh putting myself in a startup environment because as Kevin was saying, it kind of like the big difference in startups is like you're sort of working within a restricted amount of resources and time constraints. So like it makes the challenge even more exciting. Uh I guess in a sense more stressful too, but more exciting in in, uh, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, like you basically, you are forced to like constantly figure things out in a short period of time, with a short amount of, or like small amount of resources you have access to. And then you do that for years and eventually like the challenges become bigger, uh, but they also become more interesting because like Kevin was saying too, like you can actually make a bigger impact on millions of, of people out there using a product as opposed to solving little things here and there, uh, that like people might not like notice or might only affect a few individuals.
3: So why go for the startup environment? And this question to you both, why go for the startup environment rather than just going to a, a big tech corporation and and working within a machine with piles of resources? What attracted you to working with a place where there are uh, fewer resources, but maybe greater rewards? Uh, Kevin.
1: Uh, the, the thing that attracts me the most is the, the sheer number of hats that you have to wear. Uh, you really don't have to be extraordinary at anything, but you have to be uh, very adventurous in, in covering the ground that needs to be covered. Uh, so all the things that nobody else is doing, like you take on those roles. And if you have a group of people doing that, then you generally are covered. Uh, the other thing that's exciting to me about working in the startup culture is a lot of the tools that you need to source for, for doing the work and getting the job done, those are all a lot of the exciting decisions and discoveries to make. And in larger companies, a lot of those things are already stamped down. Uh, you get a lane and you need to stick in it, generally speaking. And that is just not, not very appealing to me on a personal level. <laughs>
3: <So>. <laughs> How about you, Christian?
2: Um, I would second what Kevin said, and I would add to that that it's also the people you get to work with. Like, I... All the companies I've worked at before, uh, starting with, like, Vendasta, Beagle, uh, Social Spiral, Seven Shifts, and now we is just, like, to me, it's the people I get to work with as well. Um, yeah, like, I feel like I get energized with people who are just so passionate about solving problems. And, yeah, like, we're all... Like, the thing about knowledge workers is that you just, yeah, like you, no matter who you work with, like if they're more junior or more senior than you, they could come up with just as good of ideas or even better sometimes, just because everyone has different perspectives and different different sets of experiences, right? So, yeah, that to me is, yeah. My favorite thing to do is basically just whiteboarding solutions to any problem. Like, if there's something to be solved, I just want to grab a marker and then grab someone like Kevin and then just whiteboard how we're going to solve the problem. Uh, so yeah, and like in a startup environment, that's pretty much what you spend a bunch of your time doing because like, like Kevin said, like in a corporate environment, decision might be just passed down, but in a startup environment, there's definitely way less layer layers. Uh, so you kind of the guy who just comes up with how to solve something and you end up solving it yourself as well.
3: So I'd like to know as you've worked together previously. Can you name a thing about each other that you really admire? So something, Kevin, you admire about Christian, and Christian that you admire about Kevin. And you could go into work ethics or tech, tech, whatever it is. Um, I'm just really intrigued because when you get people who have worked together on projects, they you you learn a lot about them very quickly, and you find that special space which is which is the. Thing that you would only go to that person for because that's the guy or the girl who can sort the whatever it is so christian what is the thing that you admire about kevin
2: well, i was hoping kevin would go first but uh <laughs> yeah, the, the thing for me is just yeah I'm like we work together like i said uh when that and going to me is that like, i think kevin uh forces me to slow down sometimes uh yeah like just going back to some of our whiteboarding sessions together uh there was times where like I was just ready to uh, to start working what we decided was like the best plan of attack and, you know, and Kevin wanted to take a few more minutes to like approach this problem from a different angle and sure enough, like the extra 15 minutes that we took uh, give us enough time to like come up with an even better solution, something more elegant and something more generic as opposed to something very specific to like one case there. So, and that's been the case like, I don't know, like no matter... Uh, no matter like which company or which project we're on like that seems to be like always the case uh yeah
3: i always like it that people can learn from others and and kevin to to christian um what is it that you take from the working relationship or personal relationship with christian
1: uh with with christian on a professional level he's a lot more structured than i am uh he he's the one that keeps track of the finer details and, and is a little more aware of things like the critical path of getting things completed. Uh, so where, where he he politely calls what I do, you know, trying to slow things down. I <laughs> uh, I see it more as a, I'm always kind of searching for, for a better wheel. <laughs> is kind of what I'm doing. So, uh, our natural strengths definitely do play off each other very, very well uh, in that case. And he is, he is definitely a brilliant engineer. And so it's, it's always very fun to, to bring these contrasts together. And, and that's, uh, those contrasts are a lot of times how I go about when I'm trying to find talent to, to work with and build from a small team to a larger team, and so contrast each other enough that we're very effective in a small team, and uh, and then as we grow, it's it's just working on bringing other people in that continue to contrast and build upon
3: that. So, you've both worked on startups and and you know getting into that step up stage as well. How do you think um, from from your experience you've seen or where have you seen moments where uh, the vision of the leadership of a startup has gone this way, but through the data or the technology you've seen audiences are going this way? Is there a way to realign it? And have you found it easy to take that knowledge and, and present it or prepare it in a way that the that the leadership can go, oh, okay. That's the way we need to go. Have either of you experienced that?
2: From my perspective, not really. Like, I mean, they might have been like small cases of that, but the people I usually work with or worked for, like, I definitely had just full trust into uh, knowing that they are analyzing that data and uh, and they're making the right decisions. So yeah, just like I, I was mostly just sticking to anything technical, and then yeah, providing data uh, for analysis to help make those decisions. But I was never involved in. Uh, and uh trying to steer the boat in a different direction based on based on the data that I provided I, i've I've been
1: involved in that situation a couple of times and on on varying degrees like not not usually major points of the company direction but more uh, subtopics I would say and you make a difference and your your voice is heard and other times it's not. And that's just part of how it goes. Like those who are in that position of leadership, they're there for a reason and they're there because of their vision and passion. And so uh, if that ever diverges too far, uh, then that, that becomes uh, a point of, of uh, contention you might need to consider Changing environments, if that is something that's strong to you, but it's it's never something that I would consider a f- fault. Well, I'm working for it. it's, uh, it's it's sometimes it's just a matter of of differences of opinions, which is the cool thing is is that there are a lot of opinions and uh, those are important.
3: Uh, do do you find that a lot of the tech organizations and the startups? are in the mindset of being relatively flat in their organization and in solving the problem in working together. Because I've worked with uh, uh, as a uh, from a, you know, an agency standpoint, I've worked with uh, organizations where there's um, very traditional top down leader says this happens and the results may or may not work in that direction where the hierarchy seems to be flatter in a, in a, certainly in a startup and in the tech environment, because there is this basis of, of looking at facts, looking at data, getting, you know, instant feedback through statistics or data or, or whatever it is. Um, Is there, have we reached a point where, you know, we've seen a lot of old traditional companies who have not, and I hate to use the word innovation because so often, so many people in traditional business define innovation as a thousand different things that aren't actually innovation. Um, Are we seeing an area where maybe companies now are looking and being informed by data along with gut feelings? I would
1: definitely agree with you on that. Uh, I've definitely seen... Uh, startups looking more and more today to data, and I think just as the trend continues, startups providing services around providing you that data. Uh, and so, when I started working at Picatic, that was the first eye opener I had. To from top to bottom, everything is being measured. We measure absolutely everything. Uh, when we build a new feature, we have to know how we're going to measure its adoption and we have to have goals for that. And so we have to know when something's being accepted by our user base or when it's growing away because uh, it's important to remove things that are not no longer central to what your mission is uh, because those become noise and those distract and your clients and your users don't understand how to use your product to reason over these things that don't really provide them the value. Uh, so I definitely say data-driven is is where things are going and then levels uh, all the way from marketing to sales to to feature usage to development. And when you get into development, you're measuring things like velocity and how many bugs are coming in and what's your... How how things are going. So lots of things are being measured. Uh, There was a that I learned in school. uh, We had a large group project that I think there was about 13 of us per team. And our own metrics about the project uh, because we were learning that metrics, if if they're measured and rewarded upon, they drive behavior. So this is where things like KLOC went out the window because you were getting paid by the amount of code you wrote. Well then well, we're gonna write a lot of code and it's gonna actually be detrimental to the business. Uh so we would start measuring things like how full the vending machine was in the in the in the computer lab, that projects were getting heavier and heavier as the vending machine would more rapidly deplete. And so we, we would just come up with these random metrics that we would we would add into our project that had really nothing to do with anything, but it was it was an eye-opener that you can look at all different kinds of things just to radiate back to you. So in, in the team that I work with, uh, we do measure a lot. But you don't judge very much based on them. We use them more for reflection and trying to figure out how to improve what we're doing. So I mean, that I'm a firm believer in measuring but not judging. like
3: Yeah, and, and apologies to people. The data connection between us is uh, uh, fairly sketchy. I mean, there's something happening in the world. Maybe it's another solar flare. I don't know. But yeah. something that intrigues me on that is adding those... I mean, there are many KPIs that we can measure um, within an organization, within a project. But actually, as you take this wider overview, this overview, using a vending machine or um, uh, we had uh, a a partner who had um, a table tennis table, but it was electronic booking for it. And they looked at productivity compared to the people booking online to use the table tennis table. And it seemed the people who were having more frequent short breaks were more productive. They were giving their mind a rest, switching it off. And going and doing something completely different, uh, really goal driven to win a game or just just have some have some time away from what they're doing. And when they went back, they were really refreshed. So as a as a bigger picture thing, measurement and and information is incredibly important. Christian, um, with where you're at and, and what you've seen, have you seen uh, how information can really um, make a difference in how people feel about their organization?
2: Um, yeah. Good question. Like, I, I guess that the biggest, um, like we definitely, because Fiamma is a distributed company, we heavily rely on sharing information uh, using like digital formats, just because you want to make sure that everyone has access to every possible piece of data that the company is gathering on analyzing. Uh, but uh yeah, like I would say it's it's a bit of a, as like Kevin was talking about, uh, like I, I think there's a bit of a balance thing that needs to happen between sharing and oversharing uh, data, especially internally. Because uh, yeah, like as, you know, like as knowledge workers, like we're constantly bombarded with like facts and information and, and all sorts of data. But you also need to like at some point escape all of it and, and keep doing your work. Like if you constantly keep absorbing of Collecting data, uh, it almost becomes counterproductive eventually. Uh, but yeah, like I think on a company-wide level, uh, just like through few few layers of the company, what I think is like has always been really valuable and, and is important to companies is just uh, monthly uh, monthly stats. Just uh, you know, giving the whole company idea about like how's marketing doing in terms of numbers, how's sales, uh, how's the tech department or like engineering department doing. Uh, each of those departments have different KPIs uh, that they have established. So, uh, yeah, I think I think if that's analyzed monthly, uh, it's a good thing. But like if you keep constantly paying attention to it, like on a daily basis, that that becomes counterproductive, in my opinion.
3: Very often here on Startupville, we get people in who are um, founders or were support of founders from day one. How do you find as the technical people, the people that make things happen, coming into an organization that's already up and running and, you know, trying to offer advice from your position of experience and working within um, a a different structure where the founders have their direction and you're there to build it and hopefully grow it even more?
1: When you when you enter in uh, to, to a new environment, uh, there's, there's a lot of like looking and listening and asking questions and it's not usually good to come in too quickly with your opinions until you get a good sense of finding out what they've already been trying. Like this, this is a big thing to me is try and understand what attempts have been made. So that your suggestions don't re-repeat what's been tried, or if you firmly believe what you think should be tried has been tried, maybe try and root cause and find out why it wasn't successful uh, the first time, uh, or the second time, or however many times. Um, but it's it it's too easy to come in and just start offering your opinions and and suggesting things and i think it's people might take things personally and this is natural uh because all of these people are very passionate about what they're doing so so i think you really have to be very personal and uh and have a lot of empathy for the situation and usually try small things Try things peripheral to the core of, of what's being done. Uh, Usually I like to introduce change in an area where it's not going to really affect anybody's day, where they, you can, you can turn the corner on something without ramming it down people's throats. Like that's, that's the biggest thing is people have to warm up to change and they have to buy into it just like you have to buy into a product and what it does for you. Uh, you need to buy into into these ideas, so I think it's mostly gently and with time. And it also helps if there if there's a layer of trust there or an expectation that you are an expert in the area. But definitely, the devil's in the details. So when it comes to actual the implementation of getting those changes through, that's the hardest part. It, it doesn't come with the start of the idea it's the follow through and in making effective change um i think that that's on point with what the question is
3: i i that is a brilliant answer and i'd like to take christian the same question with an evolution does it help let's say and i don't know if you've been in this situation if a if a previous um technical person or a developer has uh, departed the team and you come in with a replacement as the replacement, is there a situation that um, good record keeping really matters so you can see what's gone before? Or in the startup environment, how much record keeping is truly kept? I mean, I see software come through to me. I've done beta testing. I've seen you know, all the revision notes of what's happened. How much of that happens internally so that you know, if, if you get the hit by the bus uh, situation, the next person can continue the project?
2: Right. Uh, so yeah, like I've actually been in situations like this. And like there was actually one case when both Kevin and I were in that situation where we took over a, a project from people who have recently left the company. And I would say like, <laughs> uh, record keeping is a huge overhead. And it's usually quite outdated. So I never trust it. Uh, and it's also quite contextual. Like You can look at some code. And uh, going back to Kevin's point too, it's you can see some code that's like really badly written and like makes no sense. It's not logical, but like if you put yourself in the the shoes of the person who wrote it, that might have been like, you know, like Saturday at 2 a.m. after coming back from a bar, like they got home and uh, there was was some issues that needed to be resolved right away. So like, and we've both been in that situation. Like we actually went to a bar with our laptop and started fixing our production production errors. Uh, So yeah, I would say because in a startup environment those things happen quite often when you just end up fighting fires and they need to be released as soon as possible. there's just no documentation for that stuff like no one ever goes back and documents what they just did because uh, first of all it's like it's it's an overhead and also it gets outdated pretty quickly like the next day uh, there's gonna be more changes made and no one's gonna go back and update some documents. Um, so yeah like after you know like as you as you do this job for years like you just, you just become good at reading code and make sense out of it. Like you can scan folders of files that contain code and uh, that's kind of your documentation as opposed to some other external or like additional, additional documents.
3: I've got a friend who lives in Australia, and he', uh, he is autistic. Um, he looks at code and he says, "I don't know what it is when I spot something. But I get a feeling first and then I think about it because I can see a pattern or I can just see something that doesn't feel right. Do you get uh, similar senses to that, Christian?
2: Yeah, like over time you definitely like you learn how to read the matrix, I guess, in a sense like you like certain things pop out and like you notice them. And it, it comes from experience, like you definitely like, you know, like from one project to the next, from one feature to the next. You do get burned uh, by your own mistakes, your own like bad, bad coding patterns and stuff, and and you can see those in other people's code as well. Uh, and yeah, like over time, they they become easier needed to spot as you just read through code. And uh, like pretty much every startup I know or I work at, we do this thing called uh, code reviews. So basically, once a developer has finished working on something, that code gets reviewed by uh, one or two of his coworkers. And that's sort of the idea behind it. Like you want the other developers who have some familiarity with the project or the feature to just like quickly scan through it and and see if they can spot those things that just like stand out as like bad patterns or, you know, or something that, you know, a piece of code that could eventually blow up your leg if you step on it.
3: (laughs) We don't want anything blowing up uh, because that sounds quite horrific. As we reach the end of today's Startupville, I'd like to say thank you to the viewers and listeners for um, uh, going with us with the data connection today. Um, But before we do depart, Kevin, I'd like to ask how people could get in touch with you, um, because a key part of what we do is help people connect together.
1: Wonderful question. I, I would say most, most of the time you can reach out directly to us either through our, our Twitter handles or, uh, AngelList is, is the, the main place that we, we take any inquiries for, for people looking to connect with us, uh, as potential employment. Um, but in terms of using our product or even just looking for advice, uh, we love to help uh, people that are, are trying to do something. So whether it's advice on how to be a partner, how to be a founder, CEO, often all these different things, we are, we are available to help uh, with anything. We feel like uh, there's so much to learn when you are trying to do uh, the startup journey. And you need allies, and you need people that are willing to help that have been there before, just as they've gone and helped us. So,
3: and Christian, how can people get in touch?
2: Uh, the exact same way. Just uh, our main website. It's go co- It's uh, you can find us at, at so viamo.io. So v i a m o dot And then I'm also a mentor at uh, at uh, Collabs here in Saskatoon. So yeah, I think uh, the best way uh, for people to get in touch with me when it comes to some, yeah, just like technical mentorship or technical advice or startup, uh, engineering advice. Um, yeah, they can pretty much chat with anyone at collabs and, uh, get my contact information through, through that channel.
3: Well, that leaves me just to say thank you so much for joining us here on Startupville.
0: Startup Phil is brought to you by Innovation Place, growing the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, and produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at wetellyourstories.ca. The show is produced by me, Mike Wolfsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from G.G. Riggs and Reactor Productions. Learn more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com slash Startup and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Startup Phil Pod. See you next time on Startup Phil.